Hey everyone, this is Across the Aisle. Sometimes we crowd it, sometimes we cross it. I'm Zach. I'm Adam. And I'm Kaysen. Kava. What is Kava? Today we're going to talk about Kava, um, talk about our individual stories as connected with the Kava community, talk about the Kava community as a whole, and how Kava exists within the structure of the United States as well as specifically Florida. So there's a lot of ways that you can try Kava. You can get it in tea bags, there's chocolates, pills, or extracts. I think the best way is to drink it closest to traditional, which is the brewed tea. You're going to get that from a Kava bar most likely. That's also where you're going to experience the Kava community. If you go to a Kava bar, you're going to hear something like this. Hi guys, welcome. My name is Elizabeth and I'm going to give you my Kava spiel. Kava is a drink made from the root of a pepper plant found in the South Pacific Islands like Fiji and Vanuatu. Um, the effects of Kava are relaxing both mentally and physically. It's a natural antidepressant, anti-anxiety. Uh, it helps to regulate your sleep cycle and tackle insomnia by calming racing thoughts and restless legs. It promotes positive emotions and camaraderie, makes you feel more confident and social, and it's a ceremonial drink that's best when shared with friends. For a lot of people, it gives them a creative burst. I know that's what it first did for me. Uh, it relaxes your muscles and can help ease aches and pains, so it's great after a long day of work. It's antimicrobial and antifungal, which basically mean it means it'll help to clean up your digestive tract and rid your body of any of the toxins that are building up. It can correct stomach issues you may not have even realized you had and help relieve discomfort. Um, it's completely non-addictive and it's FDA approved across the board as a dietary supplement. It has a reverse tolerance, so when you first start drinking it, you need a lot and over time, less becomes more. I can attest to that. I used to have five or six servings. Now I can have one or two and be on that same level. We drink kava for the effects, not the taste. When traditionally prepared, it's just roots and water, and so that's what it tastes like. It's very earthy. It's also a topical anesthetic, so it numbs your mouth when you drink it. Um, for a lot of people, that's kind of part of the experience. And in the islands, they'll use it topically on wounds to clean and numb them. Uh, I've done this as well. It works. They've been drinking kava for over 3,000 years, and they're a people that are known for their longevity, their peace, their generosity. Um, in the islands, if two tribes are disputing, the chiefs will go and sit and drink kava together way before they'll turn to violence. It takes five to seven years to cultivate a kava plant, so it's pretty special that we get to have it because when you have a shell of kava, you can know that at least five years of labor went and love went into it um, and there's lots of other fun facts that you can find when you go to your local bar most of the bartenders are pretty excited to share their journey with kava uh, i know i am and that's that and that was elizabeth adkins my wife who works at grassroots kava bar in downtown st petersburg so in essence we really owe this podcast to Kava. I met both of you. We met, you know, we met each other through the Kava community, through going to bars and drinking this tasty, tasty mud. Um, 
So my I got introduced by Kava by just finding Bula Cafe in St. Petersburg. Well, I guess that's a little facetious. I had had Kava once before in a extract form through, um, I think I got it at Whole Foods, and I thought it was awful. I didn't really understand it. I put a big dropper in my mouth. My mouth went very numb. It tasted like metal. Um, I have titanium implants in my mouth, so I taste metal in a lot of stuff, especially strong extracts and whatnot. Um, and I was just very turned off by it. But I had heard such rave reviews about how relaxing it was. Um, so maybe a year later, I'm visiting my mom in Florida, and I drive by Bula Cafe, and I see Kava Bar on there. So later that night, I biked back, and I had a, a few shells of kava, which is a serving, traditionally four ounces. I, I say a few. I probably had six or seven. Um, I felt kava on my first experience. I felt very relaxed. I started talking to all these people. I was visiting Florida before I moved here. Um, I didn't know anyone at that bar, and I ended up staying there for like six hours um, just talking to different people and meeting people and getting all these stories and not only listening and hearing interesting stories, but sharing very openly stories of my own. Um, and I've pretty much been hooked uh, on that Kava train since then. You know, I didn't drink it consistently all the time, but like a year after that, I went and visited Austin, Texas. I saw there was a Kava bar. Instantly, I had to go. And I was like, oh, yeah. Kava bar in Austin? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. I was like, oh, I tried this stuff in Florida. We got to go. And I made everyone that was with me go to the Kava bar. And they thought I was a little crazy until we drank a bunch of it and then bought Kava chocolate to take uh, with us to the concert that we went to. Um, you remember what the bar was called? Uh, Square Roots, I believe. Uh, That's awesome. And it was it was a fun bar. It was a little bit different than the scene I've seen here in Florida, but I believe they had just opened. So, you know, for me, I I really enjoyed that, and I try to seek out Kava bars if I'm ever in a new city. There's not a lot of them around though, so it's a kind of a rare. Yeah. Do occasion. you know about uh, KavaBar.info? I don't. I don't know about KavaBar.info. Oh, um, if you ever were in an area or like planning out a road trip or anything. And you're thinking, oh, hey, I might want to check out some Kava bars. You can go to kavabar.info, and Kava bars from around the country have contacted this website, and all they do is just get information on Kava bars, get a, a fairly good idea of when they open and close, what days they're open, what times they're open, and wow. where they are. So you can pretty much type in any zip code in the U or in the U.S. preferably, but I think that there's some in Canada. I don't know. I know that there's some in Alaska, so it, it's interesting to see that. But typing in any of those, it'll show you the closest one, even if it's like 4,000 miles away. It'll still show you wow. where the closest one is. I've been using it for a while because people will come in. There's like, oh, I wish there was Kava bars where I'm from. And it's like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Fort Lauderdale. There's Kava bars in Fort Lauderdale. How do I know where they are? Kavabar.info. All right, y'all. So that's it. If you're listening to this show right now and you're not from Pinellas County, Florida, or South Florida <laughs> in general, look up Kavabar.info. Find the closest Kava bar to you because you're definitely yeah. going to want to try this stuff after um, the next hour or so. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be very surprised how many there are in the U.S. It, they're, they're, it's reaching 200, maybe 300 at wow. this point. I can't remember the exact number. 
But I know that in Florida itself, it, it's getting close to, like, 30, I want to say. Because I can think of eight just in Pinellas County. And I know that there's a bunch going down the west, uh, going down the east coast, because we're on the west coast. And then there's one in Miami that's very special, which is Mystic Joint. Mystic Joint's awesome. Yeah, yeah they're huge. They're like a adult arcade tattoo shop, vape shop, yeah. kava bar. It's you want to get a tattoo? You want you want to drink some kava? <laughs> you want to get a pipe? Mystic Joint. Yeah. Awesome. There's a big variety in types of kava bars. But all right. So I, Adam, said how I got into Kava. What was y'all's first experience like? Uh, my mom asked me to go get toilet paper from the corner store, and I happened to live four blocks away from St. Pete High and Bula. And as I was walking by, my friend went, Hey, fuckface. So immediately I was intrigued. <laughs> and I went to go hang out with him, and he's just like, Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing in this part of town? Why are you so close to school? I live four blocks away. Oh, Typically, you'd awesome. stay away from school. <laughs> yeah, typically, I would only go because I was going to the convenience store to just... I think it was toilet paper or paper towels or something. And then he's like, oh, we're going to get a bowl of kava. Fuck is kava? Oh, kava's this thing that gets you really relaxed. It's really awesome. Okay, cool. I don't have any money on me, though, so I could always come home and come back. No, man, we got you. So they got a big bowl of kava... He had already lowered his tolerance, and then the two people that we were also with had a couple shells, and they didn't want any more. So I ended up having close to about seven, maybe ten shells, something like that. I, you lose count. You do. You really do lose count. And then I went across the street to get the toilet paper, and as I was walking by, there's a very specific tree, which is very special to me, because it's the tree that made me realize what muddy feels like, because <laughs> as I was walking by it, you get the Wumbles, as I refer to them. And the Wumbles is this kava feeling where you get really relaxed, and you're walking, and you're totally... You don't lose cognition, but you feel very relaxed, and you feel a little loopy, and your muscles start to relax a little bit. And because of that, you lose your eye strain that you get, so it takes a second for you to focus back on some things, because you get a little distracted, because, you know, still kind of... It's calming, but then you're also more aware of your surroundings, because you're not thinking, overthinking your surroundings, and you're just kind of walking... And that's when I realized the Wombles exist, and then I walked home, and then I chilled out for a couple hours, and I took a nap, and that was awesome. And then I didn't go back for a couple months, and then I've been going ever since right before my seven, right before my 18th birthday. So this will be about three years that I've been going to Kava Bars, because this is, the, the recording of this is my 21st birthday. Happy birthday, Happy birthday buddy. Thank you. <laughs> so, Kason? Um, well, my first experience, I mean, I went to St. Pete High. And I'd seen Bula Cafe. Um, it had been the, the location that ended up being Bula Cafe had been a couple of different places. It was it's like a, directly a donut across shop. It's directly Pete across from St. Pete High. So I graduated from St. Pete High, and so I'd seen this place. I'd driven by, I'm like, what is that? And I, I never really had an interest to go in. Um, I have a really good friend, Emily, um, that has, she's, uh, has anxiety, and you know, it's, uh, she'd heard about it. So she had gone there, and she was like, oh, we gotta go, we gotta go to this place. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Um, we'll go and check it out, and I went. The thing that I was immediately hit by was just how friendly everybody was. I'm um, like, not just, you know, the people that were working, Blake was the person that served me my first shell, and just everyone in there was just so friendly, and I just thought it was kind of strange, because you go to a bar, a regular bar, and people are kind of just kind of in their own world, having their own conversation, doing their own thing, but you walk into Bula Cafe, and, you know, like, 
everyone was just like, hey, how's it going? Have you ever tried Kava? You know, Blake did the whole spiel and explained to me what it was. I really had no interest because I was there to support a friend. I wasn't, you know, going to check it out. I was like, I'll try a shell. I tried it, and the first shell was just like, okay, this is weird, and now my mouth is numb. It's freaking me out a little bit. But <laughs> I sat there for a little bit. I had a couple more shells, and it, it didn't hit me the first time. I think I had, like, three shells the first time I went, and it was just like, this stuff tastes gross. Um, and I'm not really getting, and the only thing is I'm getting this weird numbing mouthfeel, and I didn't really get, you know, the feeling that people, I didn't, it didn't hit me, I didn't get muddy. Um, so I just kept on going back, mainly because, uh, you know, Emily had basically, and everyone that she had talked to, hey, you need to go to this place. So I've gone there with a couple of friends, and after a little while, like, I think it was, um, I think they had an event or something like that, and that was the first time that I actually felt muddy. I had, I think, six or seven shells at that point, and it just, I was really relaxed, I was really chilled, you know, uh, a lot of the, the background noise that goes on in my head was kind of like just shut off a little bit, and it was really cool. Mostly I went for the vibe, mostly I went for the people, I met a lot of really cool cool people there, and I think Kava was kind of a, a background to that, and it wasn't until later that I realized that Kava was a facilitator of that. Had I not been having shells, I don't think I would have been as open talking to random people. Right. I'm kind of friendly in, in general, but it was just really cool how welcoming everybody was. Um, I had some really interesting conversations, and anyone that knows me knows that I like to talk about things like politics and get into things really deep. And I just started having conversations with like random people about things that were normally pretty divisive, and nobody was pissed off. Nobody was angry. We talk about these really like divisive things, and nobody got upset. It was just like, you know, at the end it was like, we'll agree to disagree, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, that's so, that's definitely something I want to touch on um, more a little bit later, is those conversations that tend to happen at Kava bars and in, within the Kava community that are a lot more open um, than most conversations, even like at your house amongst friends. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, muddy is a term we use. It's very popular in West Coast Florida. Um, meaning having a lot of kava, feeling the effects strongly, kind of as opposed to being drunk. I've heard in the east coast of Florida, it's often referred to as getting rooted. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I like that. I like that term. I like both of them. I'm sorry, that, that sounds really silly. That sounds, that sounds like the most hippy-dippy way of explaining anything ever. You get rooted, man. <laughs> yeah, but that, it, it sounds like... You get grounded. You take off your shoes, you go rub your toes in the soil. It just sounds like some dude in Colorado trying to convince me to have this really sketchy research chemical. Like, just get rooted. You just gotta get rooted in the earth. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, but, yeah. Honestly, even like right now, this conversation, I mean, like, we're, we're drinking copper right now. We are. In fact, actually, I think it's a... Uh, a good time for us to have another shell okay. on the air. Yes, you you two, I can't, and I'll explain <laughs> that now. So Yeah, why can't you? One of the effects that Kava has is it does react with your liver. Some say it detoxifies, but there aren't any studies I can find that completely prove or disprove that. It just impacts your liver. So, with that being said... Alcohol, as we know, is a toxin, 
and kava makes your liver sensitive because it still has to break down the enzymes and work very hard to break down those chemicals, even though a lot of them, from my understanding, are broken down in the stomach and not necessarily the liver or the kidneys. So it essentially, by drinking alcohol and kava in the same day, will double down on your liver and cause you to have liver problems. Not overall, you're not going to get liver cancer or disease or anything doing it once or twice, but it will give you a terrible hangover. Uh, some people react very violently, and I don't mean that as in, like, they get raged. I mean, they start vomiting profusely and having a very bad reaction because until they get mixing, it all out. Because of mixing, yes. yeah. yeah. So, you, even though you're an active member of the Kava community for years, you're still an American, and on yes. your 21st birthday, you're going to drink alcohol. Yes. So, no Kava for you today. That's okay. Maybe they can judge at how loosey-goosey Casey and I did, <laughs> yes. and how straight and narrow you stay. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're going to drink and keep up with the Fijian tradition of drinking together. And we're holding our kava in the air. We say, Bula? Bula. Bula. Which means the long life and good health, which is essentially a cutesy way of saying, let's get fucked up, but let's also be really chill about it. <laughs> oh, well, it's a cheers in Fijian, I'm heard, yeah. I've heard. And kind of like a catch-all phrase. Yeah, not it's like only used. Yeah, not only used while drinking kava. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, so your whole reason you're not drinking kava right now kind of brings me to why, um, why we stayed drinking kava. So we just talked yes. about why we, like, the, our first time. For me, um, I guess I've always been into natural stuff, herbal medicines, um, things like that. And kava definitely can be classified like that. It's FDA approved for all ages as a dietary supplement. Um, scientifically shown to treat stress and anxiety. Uh, but a large part of it for me was a few years ago, I quit drinking alcohol altogether. Um, as a lot of people in the kava communities around here have, um, maybe they, and they see this as an alternative. For me, it really gave me a way to get that social feeling of being at a bar, but without drinking alcohol itself. And I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with alcohol. I just know it's not for me. Um, I noticed I, the times I was drinking alcohol more was when I felt worse. I've struggled with, you know, depression and anxiety my whole life um, in various forms. But, yeah, I, I noticed that correlation in my life of, oh, wow, these times, these months that I felt really bad, I kind of started drinking a lot more. Maybe if I can stop drinking as much, I will be able to address those issues a little bit more. And then after about a little over a year of not drinking at all, I started drinking kava regularly when I moved to St. Pete, Florida. Um, and it allowed me to capture a lot of those social feelings. I did feel like I was missing, because you can only go to a bar with your friends so many times without having anything to drink before it becomes a little weird. Um, and then once I started drinking kava regularly, I kind of stopped feeling any desire to go drink alcohol. Like my work, I work at a grocery store. We give, they give us samples of beer and wine all the time. Um, and I often, even if I'm like, oh, wow, that looks like it probably tastes pretty good. Um, I won't do it because I either drank kava before I went into work to make it easier to talk to customers. Or I want to drink kava when I get off work because I want to relax and feel those bodily um, muscles. So... What kept y'all here? 
Um, for me it was, however the validity of the genetic aspects of alcoholism, in my family there is a very large history of alcoholism, and whether that's genetic or social or just individually psychological, there was a bit of a, a fear growing up that I might also dip into that lifestyle. So being a 17-year-old kid who ended up having a friend who introduced him to Kava very much benefited me because unlike the average high school that was trying to go out all the time to go to parties and get drunk, my senior year, I went to Ula all the time. I would go over there and have Kava during the summer going into my long break from schooling, which has been almost three years now. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> um, I've stayed true to just kind of going to Kava bars and socializing that way because it didn't... Like, I could have saved up money, gotten a fake ID, and gone bar hopping at the age of 19. Most people, uh, based on my facial hair and just how I care of myself, just assumed I was over 21 for the past three years anyway. Um... So, it was a way for me to socialize with people that I felt a similar maturity level with, who just kind of, like, I, to this day, people are just like, wait, you're turning 21 today? What? I thought you were 25. I think the oldest I got, which was the biggest compliment, was being 28. Thanks for and making it was, me feel old, dude. Hey, hey, <laughs> it's nice being able to travel back in time. I'm savoring it for as much as I can. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though, right? There's a, like, I mean, so I lied last episode. I'm actually 28. <laughs> yeah. 27's my favorite number. It always has been. So when I turned 27, um, I was born on the 27th as well. I That just stuck with me for a long time. So, like, I'm 28. You're Turn 21, 21 today. today. And I'm 33. Oh, yeah, man, it sounds so old, guys. I, I have many friends in the comic community that today are 18 or 45. Think of um, Jason. It's like, you know, like, there's a lot of variation within yeah. the age groups of the comic community. And I think that one of the cool things about the community is how, like, welcoming, you know, people are. Like, there's... I, I, it's, it, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but, like... People, I've met some of the people that I feel like are my closest friends and will be lifelong friends within the community. And it's been a very short period of time that I've gotten this closeness to people. And, like, you know, you, like my friend Abby, which I, I hang out with this dude all the time, is amazing. And um, he's probably one of my best friends. And I met him going to Cabo Bars. You know, like, I think we met having a political conversation. I think it was like I was having a conversation about something and he just kind of chimed in. And that's really how I gained a lot of friends just having conversations about stuff that you're told you're not supposed to talk about and people are like oh you know here's my opinion on that and then we'll jump in and then you're like now now we're, we're friends i've had so many good friends just through having random non yeah. <laughs> non like you know good conversations i'd say yeah i i drink kava with people and have conversations i genuinely enjoy that I feel like if it weren't for Kava, I could not talk to these people. And I, you know, I don't mean to sound hateful. They are just like different ideologies um, that, yeah, on an everyday basis, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't want to have that conversation. But for some reason, with Kava, and I don't feel, I don't feel it's like a like an opiate of the masses type feeling where I'm like complacent and I'm like, oh, okay, I can listen to your right wing ideology. I feel more open and willing to explore ideas. Um, but I don't feel like I lose my belief system yeah. when I'm having these conversations. I mean, we've talked to 
people of all different religious and um, political spectrums. It's pretty interesting. And Avi. <laughs> and Avi. <laughs> I mean, like, even, even Mo, Mohammed and, and Matt, like, Mohammed's libertarian, conservative libertarian, and I love talking to that dude. And we, don't, we don't agree at all politically, but I love talking to him. He's, like, kind of brought up some things that I didn't really consider, and it's kind of, I think that it has enhanced my political view. It hasn't changed them, but it has enhanced my political view, and I feel like now that I can have conversations with the other side, with more of an understanding of where they're coming from, but I have no ill will towards the guy. And I, I think normally, if it was a, a random situation on the street or, you know, outside of the cop community, I don't think I'd be so willing to hear him out. And I, I think that is a, um, I think that is... A big thing about the community is kind of like, you know, everyone having discussions and talking about stuff and getting to know each other and, like, you know, having the philosophy of other people inform you as a person. So it is interesting. I've actually never thought about this before. Um, considering those facts and our personal experiences around the opening up of new ideas and especially just conversational dialogue, um, you think there's... Uh, What do you think the likelihood of maybe in the future Kava being looked at more medically, like maybe the way we used to use MDMA in therapy sessions, Uh, get a group of people together for conflict resolution and make them drink some Kava and then talk about that? I think it could help. I don't think it's sustainable. It it, it just simply isn't. The, the, The growth we're reaching now, this is actually an issue to transition a little bit, a large issue with the with the chain of kava in general is where it comes from and it comes from these very small islands and even Fiji has an issue where it has so much of a demand for kava it has to import a bit of its supply just to keep up demand right but it also has to sell in bulk to countries like the US and in distributors in the US so they can make back its money to buy back its own supply and, and it's a it's a terrible chain but when you mix in things that include natural disasters like Vanuatu that was hit I believe it was a year and a half maybe two years ago I, I don't remember exactly when it was that devastated the kava crop crops that were nearly fully developed just wandered and destroyed and for context kava the kava comes from the root of the kava kava plant and it takes five to nine years, depending on the strain, the root, and exactly what you're trying to get out of the root, for the root to fully develop and reach a point where the potency is good enough for you to harvest. The longer it's in the ground, the stronger it is. So they'll keep the stronger strains for themselves. There's actually certain strains you can never get in the U.S. because of how ceremonial and special they are to the island. You have to sacred to yeah. many of the people in yeah, the you have to you have to go to the island, be invited by whether it be chieftains or just be in good with the locals and they'll share with you some of the greatest cob in the entire world. But what they gave what they give us is usually the five to seven, from my understanding anyway. That's what I've heard too. Yeah. And they keep the eight to nine for themselves, but even then they still need a bunch of supply. The only the only uh, state in the union that can even grow it is Hawaii, which just happens to be in what's referred to as the Kava Belt, 
because it's a part of the, the Polynesian Islands, if that's technically correct geographically, I can't remember. I don't know, it's North Pacific. It's, yeah. uh, not the South, it's like where the South Pacific Islands are, but in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, um, so... Directly between us and Asia. Yeah, so there's a lot of things, including uh, Tonga and American Samoa. It, American Samoa technically isn't a state. It, it's a weird territory where they're not even technically citizens. They're nationals, and that's a whole other story from a whole other day. But... We have such a limited supply of kava for how much it's growing, and while I wish it was, it was in a way where we could synthesize and grow and expand kava to the point where they're planting it more and it would grow in more climates and we found more places that we could plant and grow and let it wait and get a better supply, but we couldn't in a mass scale use kava to help with those things that we can use to synthesize drugs and other natural drugs which are just more plentiful. Right. It's, it's way easier to do general behavioral psychology over using a very, very specific, fairly rare plant to help in group therapy sessions. It just isn't viable. If you want to go to a kava bar and give your money to a kava bar and spend a lot of money, or if you wanted to buy the powder yourself and make your own and then talk it out with people, totally go do that. But I don't think from the perspective of making economic sense, it would essentially push kava into being so rare that kava bars might run out of kava randomly. Yeah, so that's something I've actually talked with a lot of kava bar owners and even customers and community members about is the sustainability of the kava industry. One thing is the growth in America. So like, yeah, you're saying it takes about five years minimum for a plant to be harvestable. Um, yeah, and that's, that, that's like mid to low grade kava. Right. That's kava that the islanders consider to be kind of shitty. Right, and so... Five years ago, when the kava we're drinking today was planted, they had no idea that the growth in the U.S. market would become this big. I mean, it, it grew exponentially. Oh, yeah. Um, just in Pinellas County alone, in Florida alone. Um, but they are popping up all over the U.S., uh, and we want to avoid a quinoa situation. Yeah. Um, so, for y'all that don't know, and eat the delicious quinoa, which is tasty and one of the only complete vegetable proteins out there containing all 16 essential amino acids, the people who, where, where quinoa is grown, who have harvested it for centuries, um, they can no longer afford to eat quinoa because of the demand of, the Western demand, American demand, because um, it's a health food, it's a superfood. So we're importing so much of it that the people that farm it and used to live off of it have to buy subsidized rice from the U.S. and whatnot now. Yeah. And considering the history of American imperialism... So considering the history of American imperialism, like with Hawaii and whatnot, or islands just south of Florida where we took over for agricultural and economic interests, there is a bit of a fear... Um, in my heart, at least, about that. Like, what if kava became so popular and some U.S. company was like, you know what, all this land is mine and I'm going to grow it. Uh, I don't know. Kason, do you have thoughts about that? You're from Jamaica, so maybe you feel a little bit closer connected to some of that history. 
goddamn imperialists. <laughs> I mean, I think that a lot of people in this country, and I think it was one, probably one of the, the um, biggest shocks to me growing up, is that most people here don't think about where their food comes from. They don't think about, you know, the consequences of, you know, the consumption of certain things. They're just like, I want to be able to have this item, and I'm going to go to the store and get it. There is no thought to, you know, the culture that it comes from. There's no thought to, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the consequences that for the smaller countries that really don't have the economic power to fight something like that. If you're looking at, like, an item that comes from a, a small country where, for them, it's an economic boom to have, you know, the, the item being sold to a country like the U.S., um, there's not a lot of consideration to the, the consequences of that behavior. They're looking at it from the standpoint that, oh, wait, you know, this is going to be great for our country. And then at the end of the day, it ends up being terrible for that country. So, I mean, uh, it, it's really, really strange to think about things on that level. And I, I think that I try to think about things on that level. At the end of the day, um, it's easy to go to the store and be able to get products that come from where I'm from. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't really know if that's good for the country or, or not. You know, in, in some cases, I think that it might be positive. In other cases, I think that if the demand gets to the point where it's detrimental to that country, eventually we're going to get to a point where we're not going to be able to get it anymore. So Americans right. aren't used to moderation. <laughs> we're, we're not. We do things at this, this like insane level where like, if I want this, I'm going to have it as much as I can. And you don't think, well, you know, maybe I should only go down to like, you know, this much a week or that much a week because we're a rich country. In most cases, we don't think about things well, like shortages. Of, we don't have shortages. We get whatever we want. A lot of the you time, know? that mostly comes down to just how we as a culture have evolved both sociologically and economically because very few states can I think of even have to deal with water shortages. That People like to bitch about, oh, I can't wash my car in my driveway because of water shortages and I should be able to do that. It's like, yeah, except you're also dealing with the fact that there's a water shortage right now and there's a drought and you might not be able to have water if everybody's outside washing their car, wasting perfectly good drinking water on a vehicle to make it look shiny. It's not their fault they live in a desert. Yeah. <laughs> and with those kind of scenarios, people forget the context of those situations. They forget that to the rest of the world, that's that's a beautiful thing that you can wash your car. We, we basically use drinking water, potable drinking water, to do things that don't make any sense to me. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me why... We're using drinking water in our toilets. Like, theoretically, the water that fills up your toilet is drinkable water yeah. in most states. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, you have countries like... Florida, specifically. Yeah, and countries like Japan, where, you know, they've created systems in which, like, you know, your laundry water goes into your toilet. And we... There's no drive to do things like that in this country. And I, I, it kind of is interesting to me as to why... Um, well, it, it's a very, there are a fairly simple answer. It's just we have been raised as a culture and a nation that we click a button and it's there. There, There's no wait. There's no, there, there's nothing to worry about. I mean, as funny as it is, back in the 70s, Ronald McDonald was telling children that, like, he wasn't allowed to talk about where food came from, so he told children 
that hamburgers came from fields and that they were plucked every day. <laughs> and yeah, it's a cute little thing until you start realizing that, yeah, people don't believe that anymore. Yeah, we all know. Sorry to break your childhood dreams. Santa Claus isn't real and burgers come from killing cattle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Santa Claus isn't real, Adam. <laughs> but I have a Big Mac tree in my backyard. <laughs> What's growing? <laughs> Monsanto? Oh! Thank God. But with that kind of cultural ideology, we forget the kind of things where we need to moderate some stuff. So, yeah, I guess if Kava's going to grow beyond a small subculture or lifestyle, maybe grow beyond a lifestyle into a subculture? That's a question. I don't know. Do you think it's more of a lifestyle or subculture? Maybe we... Um, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think it can be either. It just depends on who you are and how you apply kava into your life. You can make kava a key part of who you are. You can also use it just as a dietary thing. I honestly... The biggest reason that I continued to drink kava was because throughout my very young life, I had very terrible lower intestinal problems where they just stopped working. Like, just, they got bored. I don't know. <laughs> and they stopped working and moving waste. And there was a time when I was 7, 9, and 11. Every two years it would happen. It stopped for a little while and then started up again when I was about 17, 18 as well, where my lower intestines just stopped working and it reached a point where... When I was nine, I was very, very close to sepsis, kind of, because my lower intestine was going to burst. Mm. And the thing with kava is it helps push waste. It's a diuretic. So as long as I keep drinking a lot of water, it, to me, really is a dietary supplement. Because if I don't drink it, I will have gastrointestinal problems. Yeah. If I, if I quit drinking kava for a year, I guarantee you those problems would come back again just because my lower intestines are fucking stupid yeah. and don't know how to work. My um. So for me, it happens to be a lifestyle that's a part of my personality because I don't like taking these chemicals that are laxative or any other... When I can just... If I can deal with my intestinal problems and create socialization a socialization atmosphere that helps me meet people like Adam and Kaysen and help lower my anxiety and depression levels, why on earth would I ever use alcohol to socialize and use laxative to deal with my intestinal problems and use a pharmaceutical when I can just use one thing that happens to work? Yeah, um, my, my wife works at Grassroots Kava Bar. Uh, you heard her in the intro that gave the little spiel. Lovely um, woman. <laughs> and yeah, the way she puts it to people, I hear it all the time, is that the combination of kava and kombucha fixed intestinal problems she didn't even know she had. Um, it really, it, it can work a miracle. So, the if it's going to grow, if we wanted to see the, the density of kava bars we have here in the United States in general, we need to figure out some kind of sustainability the most of the places kava is grown, not all of them, but most of them, um, it's illegal to take a live plant out of the country because it's sacred to those cultures. They don't want it spreading and being uh, perverted or bastardized. Um, you know, many of them look at the kava pills or um, 
extracts as something very bad. They don't like yes, it. There, um, there is actually a loophole to that, and it's the Hawaiian plant. Right, because right. technically speaking, if you're a member of the United States, you can go to any state without a visa. That's just how our, how our country works. So, I don't know exactly how it works, but I don't believe that Hawaii has those restrictions. No, it doesn't. <clears throat> the thing is, it then moves from being an issue of getting a specimen to getting the proper climate for it to grow. Hypothetically, it could grow in the Keys wildly, fairly decently, just based on how I'm aware the climate of Fiji is and the Keys are. They could technically, even in Jamaica, it could technically grow. It's just that issue of cultivating it and making sure it survives for five years. This isn't like wheat, which... You just gotta keep it alive for a couple months, turn it over, done. Right. Turn it over, done. It, it takes months to a year for the average crop, while kava takes so much time and effort and money, and the second that you have any kind of a tsunami that hit uh, Vanuatu, or you have a hurricane season that's really harsh, or an El Nino, or an El Nino, and it messes too much with the currents, and it causes too much overhaul, and the crop's too close to the shore, you're screwed. Yeah. You just lost possibly four years of work, maybe seven years of work trying to cultivate. Right. And so let's say we come up with some great greenhouse system that incorporates volcanic nutrients and whatnot, all these things that Kava needs. I personally would, and I feel like this is the way with a lot of people that are invested in the Kava community, would still want the people's blessing and wish for us to do that. Um, I don't want to see a company just come in and say, all right, well, now we're in uh, Pennsylvania, and we're growing the equivalent of 300 acres worth of kava, and we have it in this factory, and we own it, and, you know, they... And I, I don't want to see that. I want, I'd want to see the United States, or at least some business that wants to get into that, enter into a relationship with the people who have kept this plant alive for 3,000 years. There's no... I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. There are no uh, male kava plants anymore. <clears throat> there haven't been for hundreds, if not thousands of years. They're all female plants that have to be hand-cultivated. Yeah. Um, so these people have, like, that actually dedicated... Goes folk, that actually goes into their folk tales, too. Interestingly enough... Uh, Ken tells the story way better than I can, but there's numerous stories uh, throughout all of the islands. The Tongan story involves a king sailing onto this island that had a husband, a wife, and a daughter, the daughter named, whose name was Kava, who the king asked for food, and the father had to kill his daughter, Kava, to give as a ceremonial thing to the king. And in that story, the reason that Kava has the name Kava is to honor the memory of Kava, at least to the Tongan people. Okay. Yeah. In Fiji, it involves a root shooting up inside of a woman's vagina and being cultivated that way, and it's a weird thing. I don't know if they knew that they were technically female, but that's been a, a weird correlation, is that a lot of... I don't right. know of any I've live males. I know that they have to be cultivated in some way. I know technically there needs to be male aspects for the budding process. A male and female with plants is much different than with people. You're slightly unaware because you have budding and pollination. Pollination is essentially semen, so every single time your car your car is covered in pollen, it's essentially plant semen. 
And lovely. Yeah, lovely. Um, and uh, Ken, I mean, I've heard the, uh, the stories from Ken, and Ken is one of um, the owners over at Grassroots. Awesome place we're actually drinking uh, kava from Grassroots. But I think that being an, uh, an Islander, um, you know, I always would like for anything that happens that is, like, things that are coming from these islands to benefit the people from those islands. Oh, yeah. I think that I always wish for, you know, things that come from those places to be something that helps sustain those people and those cultures from those places. I'm not sure if that's realistic. I would hope that that's what happens, you know, but... To tangent, but also attach, I mean, Usain Bolt himself, being from Jamaica, being a very big figure from Jamaica... He had a deal with Nike that was millions of dollars, and he said, we are filming it in Jamaica, we are going to hire Jamaicans, Jamaicans are going to work with this, and the, the, essentially the workers have to be primarily Jamaican, or I'm not doing it. And he, that's, that's what got done, that's how they got the deal done, is he went back to his people. He used his stature as a very famous Jamaican to go back to the island and help fuel, because Jamaica is very impoverished. Just unlike, like Van Bossie is very impoverished. Unlike that movie Cool Runnings, which I hate. <laughs> I hate. I hate that movie, and it's funny because everyone's just like, "Oh, Cool Runnings!" Like, I well, hate it's because they that made movie us so watch much. it like ten times uh, every year in elementary school. It's just yeah. like you—you you couldn't find more Jamaicans to be in a movie about Jamaica. Like you know. Rah. Anyways, <laughs> um, I think going back to our actually sub, our actual subject is like, I think that one of the things I like about. You know the community as a whole. I don't really. I can go to Bula. I can go go to you know grassroots. I can go to Low Tide and not actually drink a whole bunch of kava. In some cases, I only have like one shell, and I'm I'm generally pretty good. But the culture in the community that comes that comes around those you know uh, those places is what draws me to you know someplace like Bula or someplace like grassroots. Mainly because you go there and you get. I can go and have a conversation. Go interact with people. And not be shit faced. I don't have to have a drink. I don't have to, you know. Kava doesn't affect my motor skills. I I realized one of the first times I realized that Kava was really affecting me is that I get really bad road rage. And one day I went to um, I think it was uh, Original Bula, um, and I had a shell and a cup of coffee. Um, yeah. And on great the, combo. On the way to work, like I got cut off, and I was just like I. I found it like it was really hard. I, w- I couldn't even get mad. I was just like, okay, this is interesting. Maybe it's a cop, I'm not sure. And I went back and I stayed the same thing. And I found that like, it was like really hard for me to get annoyed about things that were, for the most part, pretty trivial. Yeah. And that's probably one of the draws to me about being able to have a shell is that it doesn't, all the little insignificant things are just, they don't bother me. Yeah. You know, it Absolutely. doesn't. I can do, I can drive, I can, you know, go operate heavy machinery if I want to, and it doesn't affect my motor skills, but the way that I interact with things, the way that I interact with, you know, the world and other people, I find that it's, you know, kind of, it's better. Yeah. I agree. Um, You know, I recently had, um, when I lived in Memphis, uh, I lived in this house that had shows all the time, a DIY art space. And we had like two to four shows a month, depending. Lots of people traveling through, independent musicians. One of them from Philly, um, who who eventually moved to Minneapolis, he was an hour north of us. And he messaged my wife and was like, hey, I'm really close by. I would love to come see y'all. 
um, since you're right down there and I see you post about this kava stuff all the time, I want to try it out. I had it once, I didn't know if I did it right. Um, so he came with his girlfriend and two other friends of theirs and we took them and we had, we showed them a proper kava time, made sure they had enough shells and all the um, info and stuff. Uh, and then afterwards when talking with them, one of the girls, Sarah, what she said was really interesting to me was because people kept coming up to us and being like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And blah, blah, blah. Talk for 10 minutes and they'd leave. And then we'd explain, oh, we know this person. They do this and so on. Um, and she was like, I can't believe I met like a software engineer, a person who owns a dog walking business, and a... Uh, uh, landscaper, you know, all in this, like, hour period, you get to talk to all of these people in such an open way, and you get a really diverse crowd, like, beyond politics and religion and age groups, occupations, there's, there's not one of those that really defines the Kava community. There's bankers and fast food workers that sit there and have great conversations together. And that's not something you see every day. Yeah, people who would normally ignore each other at a, at a regular coffee shop wouldn't pay the mind of the other person who's sitting there drinking their coffee, actually conversing with other people. I mean, one of the things that I've always realized is this very weird mix where there's an extreme mutual respect of everybody there that we're all people, we're all doing our own things, and none of us are necessarily better than any of you. Yeah. And that, that comes down from, you know, being an 18-year-old kid <laughs> hanging out with all of these 20, 30, 40, even 50, and 60-year-old people who didn't treat me like a child. They treated me like somebody who had the knowledge that I had, even though it was limited in respect to those that had been around for twice, three times as long as I had at that point still respected and had conversation was like, oh, that's interesting, or oh, well, I remember this. I've heard more stories <clears throat> and learned more history from talking to people who experienced historical events from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s than I could have possibly by reading books or listening to interviews because there's interpersonal relationships where I would talk about it with people who actually lived and experienced it, which you can't really have at a regular coffee shop. People just want to sit there and drink their coffee and be by themselves, so... There's a much more open aspect of discussion and conversation in comparison to other bars where, you know, you, you might have your, your people in the corner that sit over there and they drink their beers and then they get drunk and then they get Ubers home, hopefully, and then they come back the very next day and do the same thing that never talk with the person that's always sitting directly next to them at the bar at the other guy's bar store. Yeah, there's a, a different mutual respect where it's like, oh, that's the dude who drinks Yingling, and I like this beer instead. Mm -hmm. But past that, you probably don't know where they work. You probably don't know anything other than their first name and their drink order because you have to know that because the bartender is constantly saying their name and constantly saying their drink order. But other than that, at Kava Bars, I know most people's drink orders just by hanging out there. I know where most people work and how long they've been working there and how, when they got their new house, when uh, when they decided to have kids, when their decision to switch majors was. And I don't know that about most places. I don't know that about most people I've met in other scenarios, whether it be going to local shows or 
hanging out downtown or meeting mutual <laughs> friends in general, I have learned more about people by just sitting down and drinking kava and having natural conversations that don't necessarily have a political inc inclination or religious inclination, just talking about what's going on, talking about movies or whatever, than I have with any other experience in my entire life. And I will say, as a young person, it was probably the best thing for me to do before turning 21 was getting into this community because unlike most of my friends who are my age who just want to, they have their friends they met on Facebook and they go to their friend's house and they drink and they get drunk and then they do Snapchat stories that are 20 minutes long and then they type on Facebook how they're so hungover and they hate they have to go to work <laughs> the next morning. Well, I can stay up until 2 in the morning drinking kava have a six-hour night's sleep, which is really, really nice, wake up and go job hunting, go work, hang out with friends, and be totally fine because of the lack of hangover. And in general, when I'm sitting at a kava bar and there's somebody new, yeah, they're a little nervous, but it's like, oh, hey, my name's Zach. You're Ruby. And there's a natural conversation. And yeah, some people are more susceptible to that than not. But in general, there are so many people that will come in just for coffee at Bula specifically, and a lot of kava bars. Um, just to get a soda, or even they'll ask for a beer or whatever. It's like, oh, we don't serve beer, we serve kava. This is kava. If you want to try kava, you can, but if you want to go out and have some beers, definitely go do that. Come back on a day where you're not going to have beers so you can enjoy a kava experience. And I think that that is probably one of the most beneficial self-servicing things I did for myself was decide to listen to my friends screaming, hey, fuckface, across a parking lot and decide to drink this dirty, sketchy water that I wasn't sure and was just drinking because of what everybody else is. The cool kids are doing And it's probably been the most important thing I've done in my life for myself, anyway. Okay, so obviously the Kava community is a community. It's interpersonal relationships that have formed various bonds, um... <clears throat> that tie people together. But there's another really impressive aspect of the Kava community, I think, and that's um, pretty much every Kava bar I can think of host fundraisers, um, charity events. They host charity events for organizations. They um, I've hosted a few. Yeah, yeah, we hosted one together at Bullet Cafe. The uh, CASA, um, one of the CASA events, which was particularly special, because that's Community Action Stops Abuse, yep. um, and Bullet Cafe always did a drag show. Mm -hmm. And so, many of conservative people went to a drag show um, and, you know, donated money to stop domestic abu abuse situations. Which is a non-partisan issue. Right, of course, but maybe not the drag show part. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's interesting because the, I... I'm friends with some of those people and talk to them and they generally genuinely enjoyed that um but then they also help out friends uh members of the kava community that go to your favorite bar get into a car wreck instantly they're raising money for that person oh, yeah. they uh maybe they lose a job or a parent dies of theirs um they're raising money we envision cafe in saint pete did several events and did uh food and clothing drives for the Standing Rock community and sent stuff out there. Um, I don't know, I think that's pretty impressive. It seems to be ingrained 
in the Kava community is this ability to gather. And maybe people are more likely to uh, donate money or food because they're muddy. Um, and they're opened up to that. And they're like, you know what? I do have enough. I just bought a $4 shell of kava. I can give $4 to these people. They need it. Yeah. Um, I think it more comes down to my favorite aspect of specifically kava, and it's it, the promotion of social camaraderie. And people hear that, and they get a little confused. I don't know exactly what that means. But at least to me, that experience is the feeling not just of community as you would with your neighbors where you sometimes say hi and they've probably seen you in your underwear at least once mm-hmm. grabbing the paper. You have a much longer interaction with these people and they feel a lot more like family. For instance, your wife, Adam, Wiz, and constantly we call each other brother and sister just because of how we are, how close we are in age, and just who we are as people. We're very close like that. And I don't know many communities that can really say that. As somebody from Massachusetts, this is a great honor, I can say that the Kava community is essentially a cheers for hundreds of people. It is a place where everybody knows your name, for the most part, and they know what you drink, they know who you are, and they legitimately care about you. If you go into any of the Kava bars as if you are sad... Someone might buy you a shell. Someone's going to sit down and talk with you. I can guarantee it simply because we'll be like, oh, hey, they're not acting like themselves. Let me go say hi. And even if they're not going to be like, why are you sad? They might just be like, oh, hey, looks like you're doing okay. And even if you lie, even if you lie and say, yeah, I'm feeling fantastic, you still get that feeling that somebody cares. And I think that that's a very important feeling to have specifically in today's day and age where we have increasingly moved onto this detached world and had less connection. Most of my friends of my age tend to only communicate through social media and then maybe in the Kava community, but those that do both tend to, even though they might be just as depressed as my friends who only use social media to instill friendships and gain community and hang out at parties, don't seem to have that feeling of security with their friendships as you do in Kava communities, where if I had a problem with something that Adam said or something that Kason said, I could be like, hey, uh, you, you want to grab our shells and go to the back deck and talk for a second? And there's nothing weird about it. There's no, like, there's no argument. It's just like, oh, hey, I'm sorry I said that. Or, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, no, we can definitely work something out like that. It's, yeah. it's not a matter of being confined. There's a few places I think that I feel as comfortable, and it's very strange to think about. I mean, like the, uh, probably the other biggest community I'm part of was um, um, when I first got out of college, and there was this coffee shop in downtown St. Pete called The Globe. I cre- there's so many different friendships that I formed at this place, and it, once it closed, it was just like all of these like, lost kids with nowhere to go. You know, for me, I found the Kaaba community, and it was like a, almost like, you know, globe-like experience. And the thing is, I realized it took me a long time to form a lot of the friendships that I had at the globe, that when I started going to Kaaba bars, it was almost like instant. There's very few places that I've been to, you know, throughout my life that didn't involve, like, family. 
that I could walk into and hug like eight or nine different people. And everyone's just like, no, I haven't seen you in a while. And it's, it's just this really welcoming space. And the amount of time that it took to form those connections, now that I sit and think about it, was very short. You know, like there's people that um, essentially, like, you know, I, I brought up Muhammad before. I was having a conversation with someone and he corrected me on the definition of something. It was communism. I think it was communism. <laughs> Actually, it might be communism or socialism. But he corrected me on the definition, and I'm just like, I don't think that's correct. And we kind of went back and forth. There was no kind of animosity to it. I went, after I left the, the cop bar, I went, and it was original Bula, and I left, and I went and looked it up. And I was just like, oh, man. It was a semantic argument, but I could see where his definition was, was correct. I went back. The next time I saw him, I'm like, dude, you were right. You were right, you know, I was wrong, and from that point on, we were friends. I do have and to, it's weird, huh? As a warning to our listeners, never trust a libertarian <laughs> definition of socialism. Yeah, never. No, and the, the thing is that we didn't, I didn't all of a sudden, was like, oh, you know, I'm going to agree with what you were saying. <laughs> right, right. But the, the issue was that the way that he was defining it specifically was correct. And it was a very semantic argument on the definition. And it was funny because a disagreement on right. something was how we became friends. Very and, strong. You know, and it was a very strong disagreement. And you know, we were really close after that. So I, I can't think of any other situation where like someone that I don't know is going to jump into a conversation I was having and correct me, and then we're going to be friends after that. <laughs> like I cannot think of a different scenario where that would have worked out what? the way it was. Sure, <laughs> As... As another story that actually does involve Muhammad, the very first time I really hung out with him was at Mad Hatter's, and of course, being the one of the communal communists that essentially has it tattooed on his forehead with my Facebook feed and just how it is, I remember trolling the fuck out of Muhammad by, just, well, yeah, no, we don't, like, how are you going to have roads? <laughs> because he hates that argument. Libertarians <laughs> hate that argument. It's a stupid argument, by the way. Never use the argument of, well, what's going to happen with the roads? It doesn't, it, like, it's not how that works. Not how that works. There's stipulations that might happen, but I have never seen a man more confused as to if I was serious. <laughs> and as he's ranting about how the free market would treat that, I go, Muhammad, Ma, I'm, oh, I'm joking. I'm <laughs> and then he was like, oh, there was no anger. There was no animosity. There was just, oh. And then we drank shells. Everything was fine. <laughs> I first started interacting with Muhammad online. I, I met him a couple times and talked to him at the bars. But I basically, he asked if he could add me on Facebook. And I was like, yeah, okay. And he's like, I promise I don't post a bunch of political stuff. Um, which is a lie. Um, but, so basically, every time I saw the phrase, taxation is theft, I just replied with, um, property is theft, slavery is murder. And I think that went on for about two months before we had one of those, hey, can I have a shell with you in the back? Do you, do you hate me? Uh, but I, I, we're, we're digressing and talking about Muhammad way too much. He's gonna love He's this. He's a beautiful man. He's a very beautiful man. If you are When he blonde, has a beard. Yeah, yeah. Get your beard back and we'll try to find you a nice socialist blonde from Alabama and everything will be perfectly fine. <laughs> Set you right. Um, I did want to ask you all about something that's interesting to me. Um, I, had a, I had a few friends in this area of Florida before I moved here and before I got heavily involved with the Kava scene, various leftists of sorts. Um, and 
when I tried to get them like, oh, hey, I'm living in Florida, here, come check me out, hang, let's hang out, I'm always at this kava bar. Um, not everyone, of course, but a few people um, would reply with things like, oh, that's that hipster way of getting high, or that's uh, weed for hipsters, that's alcohol for hipsters, or similar to things that you see with like yoga now, um, like, oh, well, that's cultural appropriation, and I don't want anything to do with the uh, you misusing South Pacific Islanders culture and stuff like that. Um, what are what are y'all's opinions about that? How dare we take a beautiful, amazing thing and appreciate the culture by not overly westernizing it to the point of it becoming so western it's indistinguishable from us going out and drinking alcohol? How dare us! <laughs> if you don't detect the sarcasm, the, the larger issue I have with this identity of cultural appropriation is it does exist in certain scenarios. If you go to Coachella wearing a, a Native American headpiece with feathers in it, dancing around while raving and doing acid, you might be appropriating a culture. Specifically, if you are unaware of the struggles Native American people are still going through and trying to just be cutesy for your Instagram photos. That's overly westernizing something to the point where it's indistinguishable from any other fashion trait. I'm pretty sure Native Americans invented raving. <laughs> they might have. Technically speaking, though, it was probably the Greeks because we invented everything. <laughs> okay, so what do you think about cultural appropriation in Kaaba? I mean, the whole argument of cultural appropriation is kind of interesting to me considering that um, it's usually the people that are not part of that culture that are saying that you're appropriating someone else's culture. It's almost like, you know, when people make black jokes and other people jump in and it's just like, oh, what? And it's just like, if the people that belong to that culture aren't offended by it, we don't need you to defend us. You know, if I want to defend myself against something that I feel like is an insult to my culture, I will do so. But I just always think it's very interesting that you have, like, people that don't belong to that culture that are trying to school other people about that culture. It's I like, mean, no, it's, no. at its bare bones, it's just libs explaining. There's yeah. nothing wrong with being a lepsis. There's nothing wrong with being a liberal. There's, there's something very wrong with trying to push something as something that it's not. When you have yogis from India coming over to the West, introducing us to yoga and Hinduism, and in some fashions, Buddhism, and trying to get people to do yoga, you can't then go, oh, it's cultural appropriation because the white people are stealing it. No... Yogis came over and found a new market to say, hey, this is something that benefits our culture. Here's something for you to also benefit from. The only reason we have kava in the U.S. is because Fiji, Tonga, and Vanuatu are okay with us having it. They won't let us have the plant because it's sacred to them, but they are still willing to share that, not just for the economic benefits, because at the end of the day... They're essentially breaking economically even. They're attempting to share something that has benefited their culture for 3,000 yeah. years with with a culture that, in my perspective, desperately needs it and wishes there was more of so that we could push it more. Yeah. I, I long for the day where there's enough kava in the entire goddamn world 
to outpace alcohol to the point where people don't even want to drink alcohol anymore. Yeah, I've seen pictures of uh, Prince Charles and the Pope drinking kava, and if those fuckers can drink kava, <laughs> I feel a little bit okay about it. Um, also, so yeah, appropriation, uh, it's a tricky subject. We're obviously not having an episode on that right now. Um, but for me, so yeah, there are things like yoga and booze, where you do yoga and drink take shots or whatever, which is really strange to me and seems to be a bastardization of yoga. Um, but I feel like the Kava community in general does respect uh, the traditions around it. We might not... Everyone doesn't know everything. They don't believe all of the uh, sacred orders and stuff. And In some cases, that's a good idea. Um, for a long time, women weren't allowed to drink Kava at all in a lot of these societies. Yeah. Or... There is a tradition of a prepubescent boy chewing the kava root and spitting it in a bowl before the liquid is made. We don't do that either. That's probably a good thing. Um, But I don't see the disrespect, and I don't see a mass commercialization of the product. It is advertised recreationally um, and socially, which some people think is wrong. Um, But many of those cultures that view it religiously and sacredly also have it as a recreational and social aspect um, as well. For me, I think the the disclaimer on that comes from it is cultural appropriation when you are disrespecting the history and culture to create something new and innovative out of something that's cheap now. Yeah. If you're still respecting it and going, oh, this is a really cool thing that we can do and use... And we're still going to drink together. Yeah. We're still going to make sure everyone's taken care of. We're still going to allow parents to, at the bar's discretion, let their 13, 14-year-old kids try kava if they so want to, which sticks to a fairly good tradition, is much different than just going, oh, we're going to do shots and yoga, as we've said a few times. Yeah. It, it's more. Much- Wearing bow necklaces and putting on Samoa face. Yeah, like, we're not we're not going around in grass skirts making fun of their accents or trying to be cutesy or artistic with it. We're just saying, hey, we now have this. Yeah, we're a little bit counterculture for doing this instead of drinking alcohol. But at the same time, there's a lot of mutual respect to the island and that I feel the island has towards us from my understanding simply based on the fact that there was a story I read about a year ago, maybe two years ago, about um, a group from the army going to rebuild, I believe it was Fijian infrastructure. There was some kind of storming that caused there to be um, an issue with their infrastructure. And what ended up happening was the people in the military who were helping rebuild the schools and houses and getting essentially these these small little villages back on their feet were saying that in most countries they were associated with the violent acts of the United States and that they wanted them to leave but they also kind of needed them so they would be aggressive or just otherwise not welcoming. Yeah. yeah. While in at least in these cultures with these people at the end of the day when they were done building houses and fixing stuff and just doing their job, they were said, oh, hey, take a break, come over here, drink some kava with us. They were invited 
to be a part of it as a, hey, we can't give you money, we can't help you in any other way, but we can give you some kava, we can help you out, we can make you feel relaxed so you can have a night's sleep so you can help us out again tomorrow and we'll do the same thing. And it was said by those who were interviewed that it was one of the most welcoming experiences they had experienced in their time in the military when their job was to go around and rebuild places. And when the locals are that open and willing to look at something and go, oh, hey, we're, we're a very poor nation where we don't have that much to offer other than our kava, we have our kava, though. And we'll go out and offer that to those. But they have no, they have no need to. In fact, international cultural standard says that you should just shun them for even coming into your country at times. Not to praise American imperialism, but when you're just there to rebuild and help after a natural disaster, and the culture and the people there appreciate that by going, "Hey, want to drink some kava once you're done, or even before and after?" Just being like, "Oh, hey," because they drink kava sun up, sun down. So. I don't think it's appropriation at that point. I don't think it can be when there is an extreme mutual respect. I agree. And I think that a lot of it, like, I've been to a couple different kava ceremonies that, you know, they've done at low tide, they've done at um, grassroots, they've done at bula. And the fact that they take the time out to tell people about the culture, to tell people about where this is coming from and to kind of appreciate, you know, where this is coming from and, you know, the culture behind it, in my opinion, I think that there's a lot of places that will take things from other cultures and not even look back. But the Kava community here takes time to be like, wait, even in the way that they explain what Kava is, where it comes from, and the tradition behind it, yeah. it's very respectful of the culture it comes from. And I think that, I mean, I don't think it's appropriation in, in that sense, but I mean, I, I can't speak for, you know, you know people of Vanuatu or Fiji or whatever, but from my standpoint, I, I think that they're very respect. The, the Kava bars are very respectful of the culture where where, where Kava is coming from. So and so I guess uh, that covers pretty much everything I think we want to talk about. There's there's more we could talk about. We could talk about the so-called infamous Kava wars, our drama and stuff that can develop. I've heard a lot of people be like, "Oh, I don't go to Kava bars anymore because it's too full of drama." But I think those issues are actually issues of American culture mm. that pop up everywhere, no matter the business, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on them. Um, I do, I don't know, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to some of the bars in the area that we didn't mention just through example, like um, Muddy Waters, which opened up one of the newer oh, bars it, in the it area. It just opened up. December, maybe November, I can't remember exactly. Right. Shout out to you guys, and, you guys are awesome. Yeah, and they're, Muddy Waters is owned by Brian. Brian is, I believe he was 19 when he yeah. opened it up. He might be 20 now. Yeah. And that's amazing. I read it, uh, when I was in Tallahassee, there was a Kava bar that was opened <coughs> by an 18-year-old um, right across from the college campus because he wanted to have a positive impact on freshmen. He was oh, like, wow. I got to college and I was like, holy crap, there's a lot of dangerous stuff going on, maybe I can provide a little bit safer of an environment. You know, that's powerful stuff. Um, what are some of the other ones in this area? Well, Muddy Waters has nuclear kava, by the way. I don't know what that Drink, is. Drinker beware. That, that shit's powerful. <laughs> All right. That shit's potent. Um, There's Sawgrass Tiki Bar, which yep. is in our warehouse arts district. Um, they're one of the few kava bars that also serves alcohol. Um, they, of course, will not serve them to you at the same time. But that can be interesting if you have 
friends or family that you want to go hang out with that will not try kava, um, you know, like, you can, it's a different experience um, drinking kava next to someone that's drinking alcohol, but it can be helpful, I think. I'm, I'm not against it. Some people are. Yeah, um, you also have Bula on the Beach, which I don't think we mentioned. Oh, no. You have Bula Coco, which is the first Bula on the East Coast. You mentioned Mystic Joint. You have Mad Hatters, which I mentioned with Muhammad in them. You have Low Tide Kava Bar. In uh, Gulfport, in Gulfport. Which is right next to their beach and in a beautiful downtown area. Um, and they have a lot of, like, they have a ping pong and, like, the VR gaming system. They're very... Oh, the workout's pretty awesome. Yeah, a lot of the Kava Bars have, like, other things you can do. They're very, um... Dharma? Community-oriented. Dharma. Dharma's still a thing. I don't know. It is. I haven't been there, thing? actually. Okay, I haven't heard many people talking about it. Maybe the Dharma crowd's a little bit more tight-knit. I haven't heard anyone mention Dharma a little bit. I hope that they're still doing good. Uh, you guys are awesome. I've hung out with you guys and drank Kava with you when I've been at Bula. I've never gotten to go down to Dharma. Sadly, I just haven't been able to get down to that part of town. It's a little bit far from where I live, as I live very, very close to Bula. As I explained earlier, I live only four blocks away from it. So. Yeah. And there's um, Envision Cafe, which yep. we did mention. They're a unique one as well because they have uh, co-working spaces. They have big, nice... Uh, Apple computers with creative suites on it. You can become a member and work, and they offer all sorts of um, production assistance there as well. Envision basically got me through um, a semester of school. Uh, they have um, it's really a great um, place to go study. Um, if you are doing anything creative, if you're doing um, graphic design, which is what what I was doing, and I just had a membership, and I would go in and um, use their computers. They have dual dual monitors, and I did most of my my work there. Yeah. for that semester, so it was great. I will say Envision's probably the only good one for studying, simply because of the... The culture, quieter. The, the, the culture of Kava Bar is very much so has... You don't really go to be quiet and sit in the corner. You technically could do that. It won't work out very well. <laughs> it's true. There's many a times I've went to a Kava Bar with the intent of reading and gotten two pages in, and then three hours later I'm like, well, you know what, I'm going to close this book. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's and I, I think that's uh, pretty, I think it's a good thing. I it mean, I, I can't go to, to you know, grassroots or, or Bula without someone coming and be like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Just like, because you meet so many cool people and you end up like going there to like do, you know, like do solitary work by yourself and then you end up having like really good conversations instead. I don't think that's a, that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Right. If not, don't, don't go with the intention <laughs> of getting things done. Go with the hope. Of getting things done. That's way more abstract and for me is much more honest to yourself. Right. And then uh, there are there is Grassroots Kava House, which we mentioned several times. They provided the kava that we're drinking today, so thank you very much. We're drinking their Lehui blend, which is their all mind kava. Um, there's all mind kava, all body kava, and 50-50 kava. We're drinking that with a little bit of the cacao mixed in, which is energizing and cuts kind of that earthy taste. That's uh, tastes like dirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you, thank you, Grassroots. They're located at nine fifty seven Central Avenue, um, right downtown St. Pete. They have a full coffee and espresso bar with uh, Blind Tiger coffee. They have Tidal Boar uh, ginger beer, beer which is locally awesome. made in St. Pete. Mother Kombucha from St. Pete. 
Men's Matcha from Pinellas Park, Florida. Um, you know, they're doing a lot of local stuff. Um, thank you all yep. very much. We're going to do one more Bula. 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 And to uh, end it, just as an informational thing, if you are somebody who has any kind of mood changers or antidepressants, if you go to a kava bar and want to try kava, I suggest getting body kava because it won't interfere with your meds. There is a possibility that if you are on antidepressants or other mood-altering medication for any mental issues you might have just being a human on Earth to get body kava because body kava relax, uh, relaxes your muscles more so than your mind because the mind kava is, it, it, it essentially will be doubling down on your medication and it might not be the best for you to do that. So if you want to drink kava and you have that kind of medication, definitely get body kava. It's totally going to be fine, but you might want to consult your doctor as well. And I think that another thing I, I like that Zach brought that up is um, I don't think I've ever gone to a bar and had someone explain the possible negative effects of drinking alcohol to me. <laughs> you, know, you know, like no one ever says like, oh, you know, if you're doing this, you might not want to drink booze. If you're doing that, you might not want to drink. I, I think might that fuck your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Sir, are you on any uh, antibacterial? <laughs> Wait, that's not the word. <laughs> but I, I think that. One of the things I respect about the Kava community as a whole, and almost all the Kava bars I've gone into, is they're very, they're more concerned with you having a good experience than they are with just selling you a product. And I think, I really appreciate that about them, is that they want you to have a good experience, and they want you to meet people, they want you to interact, they want you to, to you know, come back, but if you're drinking, if you've been having alcohol, I mean, they could probably still sell you a shell and you'd probably be okay, but they're going to err on the side of caution. Like, you know what? We don't want you to go and have a drink and then have a shell and then end up throwing up everywhere, even and though it's not. You know, and then associate the Kava with, with the issue. They want you to be able to, you know, have a positive experience. So I, I really respect that a lot about, you know, yes. almost every Kava bar that I've been to. And to transition a bit, if you are somebody that might have had a couple of beers or maybe a couple of shots before you go to a Kava bar, you could always have Kratom. And in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the issue with Kratom, the legality of Kratom, and... The weird area that we're in, specifically with Florida as well as other states in the Union as well. Yeah, that's a. We originally wanted to do include some of that in this episode, but it's impossible. It needs it, its own episode. It's such a big. It's such a big issue that um, we have to cover it separately. So, if you've never tried kava, check out some of the videos we're going to include in our notes and links. Um, we're going to have. Uh, the kavabar.info in there, so you can go to a kava bar near you. If you're not. In, around a kava bar, we're going to include a video that will show you how to make it yourself at home um, if you purchase some powder. And yep, Bula Kava House. It's not associated with Bula Cafe. It's always conflict. Always people think it's the same thing. It's not totally different web store. I've heard very good things about them. If you wanted to buy powder online, yeah. it's a very reputable one from what I have been told. Yeah, there's a lot of places out there you can get it. Um, so if you're new to kava and you want to try it out, send us a picture of your kava face because you'll make one the first yeah, time you try it. definitely will. I have, you're, a, I have a small album on my phone of people's first kava pick. <laughs> three awesome. or four strong right now, but I have them. If, uh, if you're already a member of the kava community, whether you drink it at a bar or alone and with friends, um, tell us your story about it. If you want to contribute anything to the Kratom episode, we'll of course take stories about that as well. Um... Yeah, guys, check out the, uh, you know, we have um, our Facebook page, and um, if you 
we're really very good about interacting with people on the Facebook page. If you have any questions, concerns, whatever, post them up there. Um, one of us will respond. I guarantee you that. And um, you know, we're okay taking criticism. We're okay, you know, you know, subject ideas and you know, possible other other uh, you know podcasts. So just you know, throw us throw us a message, throw us a comment. Yeah, Bob C Studios. Um, we'll have our website up soon. We've been working with them. They do amazing work. Um, it's looking pretty sexy, I think. Um, we're because recording. there's three sexy guys on it, so... Yeah. <laughs> we're recording at uh, Kymatic Studios right now in Chuck's Garage. And we're in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. And I'm Casey. 